0: Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today we hear the story of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Now, when you study Matthew's Gospel, there are three great mountain scenes. The Sermon on the Mount, Calvary, and Mount Tabor place where Jesus was transfigured. In all these mountain scenes, Matthew is trying to tell us to be very much aware of something that is going to be significant, something significant that will happen and help us grow in our faith in Christ. With the Sermon on the Mount, which we recently read for, for several weeks, Jesus gives us his blueprint, his vision of Christianity and how we are to live our lives. Mount Calvary is Jesus sacrificing himself for the redemption of the world. Mount Tabor, we see Jesus transfigured. There's something significant that is revealed here in the transfiguration. It's the light of heaven breaking into our world and illuminating Jesus. Now, a few years ago, I watched a documentary about modern-day saints saints that have lived in our own day and age. Now, they interviewed a man who was able to see and meet Padre Pio. Now, this man being interviewed was serving in the army during World War II, and he was stationed in Italy. And he was stationed very close to the monastery in which Padre Pio was living at. Now, we all remember Padre Pio was a miracle worker, And later on, he received the stigmata, the wounds of Christ on his hands and his feet. So, Padre Pio was worldwide known as a great worker of miracles, a very holy man. And so, this man being interviewed was Catholic, and he heard about Padre Pio, and he wanted to see him. He found out that Padre Pio, every morning, celebrated Mass. So, this young man woke up very early in the morning, and he went to the monastery for Mass. Now, when he went to the monastery, he was invited to serve, and he said, yeah, absolutely, he'll serve. Now, what he noted was, at the time of the consecration, when Padre Pio lifted up the body of Christ in his hands, he said he saw a light around Padre Pio's hands as well as around the host. He described it in terms of an aura around his hands. And then he mentioned that he truly believed what he was witnessing was a miracle. Now, where else do we see this association of light and miracles? Well, in the Bible, the best story that I can think of is Moses. Moses, he's on top of Mount Sinai, and he sees the face of God. And in doing so, his face and his hair become dazzling white. And when he makes his way down the mountain, his, hand, his hair as well as his face, so brilliantly bright that the Israelites can't look at him. They have to put a veil over his head. Well, where else do we see this marvelous light, this glow from heaven? Well, an artwork. We see, you know, saints depicted with that halo, that brilliant light around their heads signifying their holiness. Now, go back to the gospel. Again, we read the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. It says, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. So, what are we to make of this? Well, Thomas Aquinas once said, Jesus was transfigured in order to allow his disciples to see the beauty of the goal. Now, I like that answer. The beauty of the goal essentially, is the glory of heaven. That's what transfigured Jesus. And that gave the apostles the confidence to continue on in the mission, especially after Jesus ascended back into heaven. They needed that reassurance, that confidence of the goal, heaven, in order to continue Jesus's mission in building the church. Now, I think we need that too, we need that reminder that this world is not the final goal. The story of the Transfiguration tells us there are particularly great moments when the intensity of heaven shines through and breaks into our world. And we see the beauty of the world, the beauty of heaven that awaits us all, the world we are all tending to. And see, that's our goal. That's why we come to Mass every weekend. We pray every day. We engage a lifestyle of stewardship. Peter, James, and John, they allowed the light of heaven to see Jesus in all of his glory. They were allowed to see the gold, the beauty of the world to come. Now, I think we all need that from time to time, especially now more than ever. It's becoming increasingly more and more difficult to practice our faith, especially in our country where it seems like our church is constantly being persecuted. But also, we need a glimpse of the goal to motivate us, to press on, in the midst of the struggles or the challenges we may have in life, maybe an unexpected diagnosis, the death of a loved one. Now, in the last few minutes of this homily, what I want to do is compare this story of the transfiguration to our Mass and how this story comes alive, how the transfiguration comes alive for us every time we gather for Mass. We, like the apostles, we catch a glimpse of the goal. Now remember how the story begins. Jesus climbs Mount Tabor, and then he is transfigured. Well, we know it's a basic biblical truth. Whenever we hear mountains in the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's where we encounter the divine, where we encounter God. It's where heaven and earth meet or are united. Well, think of it. When we come to Mass, when we come to church, whether it's on the weekend or the weekday, we symbolically or figuratively, we climb that mountain. How so? Because we know every time we come to Mass, we are guaranteed— absolutely guaranteed. We know that we will encounter God through his presence in the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. That's guaranteed for us. So, when we are at mass, we're on that mountain with God. Next in the story, he said, behold, Moses and Elijah were conversing with Jesus about his impending death. Well, Moses represents the law, The Ten Commandments, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Elijah represents all of the Old Testament prophets, and he is the greatest of them all. Essentially, the two represents God's revelation to us. What's the first part of the Mass? The Liturgy of the Word, in which we read from the Law and the Prophets. But we also read from the Gospel, and Jesus himself speaks to us, and he opens up our minds, to interpret the scriptures for us. You know, it reminds me of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're walking down that road, and they don't understand what just transpired in Jerusalem, in Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. And Jesus comes up, and he walks beside them. And it says he opened up their minds to interpret the scriptures from Moses to the present day. Well, that's what Jesus does to us. Take it to a deeper level. Moses and Elijah, basically, they have been dead for centuries and centuries and centuries before Jesus was even born. And yet, they are alive. And they are talking to Jesus as witnessed by the apostles. Well, Moses and Elijah represent the community of saints. We believe in our Mass, the whole community of saints and the angels are present with us at Mass. And we profess that, and we acknowledge that in our prayers at Mass. Give you a great example, the Eucharistic prayer. The priest will say at the very end of the preface, may our voices blend with all the angels and the saints as we acclaim, and then immediately we launch into the Holy Holy. Well, we believe that the saints and the angels are around us at Mass. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Where are the saints and the angels always? They're always with God, worshiping and praising God. And so why wouldn't the angels and the saints be present with us as we worship God in this world at the Mass? It makes total sense. And so throughout the Mass, we acknowledge the presence of the saints and the angels around us. More to it, we acknowledge the presence of the Holy Trinity. When you listen to all the prayers of our Mass, we always are praying to the Father through the Son in union with the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning of Mass, we sign ourselves in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because we recognize all three persons are present with us at Mass. And then comes the important part, the consecration, in which figuratively, and symbolically, that transfigured light from heaven breaks into our midst. And now we see, with eyes of faith, Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist, his body and his blood. And in doing so, we gaze upon the altar, and now we too, like the apostles, we catch a glimpse of the goal. We catch a glimpse of heaven. Thomas Aquinas said, The body of Christ is the Panis Angelicus, the bread of the angels. He said, the body of Christ is what the angels eat in heaven. And yet that's what we see on the altar after the consecration. It's the glimpse of the goal. One last thing to think about. Peter, he says to Jesus, It is good that we are here. Let us make a tent for you, for Moses and Elijah. Well, we can't blame him for saying that. He's seen a beautiful glimpse of heaven, and he doesn't want to leave that mountaintop. Well, frankly, neither would I. I don't want to stay there myself, and we can't blame him. But Jesus says what? No. And so they go back down the mountain, and they continue on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus knows his destiny lies in Jerusalem, not to stay on top of that mountain. Well, the same thing holds true with us. At the very end of Mass, we know we have to leave and go back into the world. We can't stay on our mountain in the Mass. Having seen a glimpse of the goal in the Eucharist, now we're motivated to continue to live out our faith, to continue the mission, just like Jesus. We are not meant to stay on top of that mountain. That's why the priest says, Go now to love and serve the Lord. Well, having seen the goal, Having seen the world to come in the Eucharist, now we're motivated to continue to practice our faith, even in the midst of the struggles and the challenges of our life. We have to realize the story of the Transfiguration awakens in us just how important the Mass is for us all. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.